Uh, welcome to the program. Today we're going to be talking about understanding and advocating for residents with dementia in the time of COVID-19. Uh, originally this program was planned to be just focused on dementia care advocacy. We are adopting as everyone else is to make this um, uh, as useful as possible during the time of the pandemic. Everyone is muted right now and you can put in uh, uh, questions into, I believe there is a chat box, and Sarah will, will, um, will uh, excuse me, present any of those questions at the end of the program. Uh, otherwise, we could also open it up at the end of the program for Q&A. And without further ado, we are going to get started. Uh, so a little bit about our organization. For those of you who haven't been on before, uh, we're the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for elderly and disabled uh, adults in long-term care facilities, principally nursing homes and assisted living, uh, adult homes, assisted living, as I'm sure many of you know, go by different names. We are also very proud to be home to two local long-term care ombudsman programs in New York State, both of them located in the Hudson Valley area. Uh, we do mostly policy analysis and systems advocacy in New York State and nationally, and more and more over the last 10 years, we've been also doing education of consumers, meaning residents and their families, the long-term care ombudsman, and other stakeholders. Uh, and these programs, which we do monthly, are open to everybody. Uh, Eric Goldwine will be presenting with me first, and he'll be presenting first, actually, excuse me. Uh, Eric joined LTCCC in June of, 19, of 2019 as a policy fellow, and Eric became our policy and communications director last month, uh, actually, excuse me, beginning this month, May 1st. And I joined LTCCC in 2002, and I've been the executive director since 2005. And our website, which I'll repeat over and over again, is nursinghome411.org. Uh, everything that we talk about in these programs, including the programs themselves and the resources, are always available for free on our website, as well as uh, we have a YouTube channel, which people can watch this program once it's recorded. It'll go up hopefully by the end of this week, if not by Monday. And then, in addition, uh, we will have it as a podcast on our website. I think that some people came in after the mute, and for some reason that. Um, that's affected things. So I'm just going to mute it again. <coughs> there we go. Okay, thanks. So today's program, we're going to give an update, as I mentioned before, on COVID-19 policy developments. Um, there's a lot going on, particularly on the federal level, that'll affect all of us. Uh, uh, Eric's going to talk a bit about the information and resources we have on our dedicated COVID-19 page. You can uh, see there's a big button on our homepage, nursinghome411.org, which will take you right to that resource page. We're going to then go to some dementia care considerations. Uh, particularly in light of COVID-19. We'll talk about some of the resources for dementia care advocacy, and then we'll allow some time for discussion as well. Sorry about that, oops, okay. Uh, so I'm gonna hand it over to Eric now. 
We'll be talking about COVID-19 and the new federal reporting requirements, which came out last Friday, or um, and then plans to open nursing homes, which actually came out, I think, yesterday. Thanks, Richard. Uh, yeah, so for the next 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to uh, first start by talking about the policy on federal uh, reporting requirements. Then uh, I'm going to uh, briefly discuss the CMS nursing home re reopening recommendations for state and local officials. Uh, and then I'm going to give a quick tour of LTCCC's Coronavirus Resource Center. Uh, so. Our first part here is the new federal requirements for reporting of COVID-19 uh, We've long been concerned about transparency uh, regarding coronavirus and before that, uh, but with coronavirus reporting. And these changes represent an improvement on that front. So uh, as you see here, the, the new requirements uh, say that a facility must electronically report information about COVID-19 in a standardized format specified by the secretary. Uh, this report must include, but is not limited to, and I'm going to list these uh, eight points below, uh, but suspected and confirmed COVID-19 among residents and staff, including residents previously treated for covid Oh, Eric, Eric, if I could just interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Someone's making a lot of noise, so I'm going to again mute and unmute everyone. And if people, if you do join in after the call starts or the program starts, if you can please just uh, either mute yourself or, or, or please be quiet, we'd appreciate it. Uh, but I'm just going to quickly mute and unmute everybody. Yeah. Eric, you're going to have to unmute yourself okay. again. I'm sorry. All right, I'm here. So. These, uh, as I was saying, uh, these reporting requirements, uh, facilities must electronically report these to the CDC. Um, first, suspected and confirmed COVID-19 infections among residents and staff. Uh, next, total deaths and COVID-19 deaths among residents and staff. And again, that's total deaths uh, in addition to COVID-19 related deaths. Uh, per personal protective equipment and hand hygiene supplies, uh, ventilator capacity and supplies, resident beds and census, uh, access to COVID-19 testing while the resident is in the facility, uh, staffing shortages, and other information specified by the secretary. Uh, next slide, please. And this uh, information must be reported uh, to the CDC and provided weekly to the CDC. And at the end of the month, uh, we're anticipating that it'll be posted publicly by CMS. Uh, and this data will include facility names, number of COVID-19 suspected uh, and confirmed cases, deaths, and other data determined appropriate. And this will be on the CMS website. That's data.cms.gov. Uh, next slide, please. Sure. Eric, I'm just going to uh, quickly add, just yeah. for those of you who may not be familiar, so the CDC is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and you might have seen the President and others have, have cited CDC um, statistics and CDC recommendations. CMS is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they oversee nursing home care as well as hospital, hospice, 
home care, et cetera, through Medicare and Medicaid. So I just want to be clear, because uh, I know it could be confusing, that the agency that we usually um, deal with and about which we're concerned is CMS, uh, but the CDC, again, is uh, playing a part here because, of course, uh, COVID-19 is a contagious disease. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, and so we'll be monitoring uh, that data as it is posted, and I'm sure you'll stumble upon it on news reports, on television, newspapers, and online articles. Um, so uh, in addition to uh, the nursing home, must, nursing home facilities must inform residents and their representatives and families uh, by 5 p.m. the next calendar day following the occurrence of either a single confirmed infection of COVID-19 or three or more residents or staff with new onset of respiratory symptoms occurring within 72 hours of each other. Uh, now, it's important to note that there are a variety of ways that facilities can uh, notify the uh, representatives or the residents or the families. Uh, that could be through listservs, uh, through website postings, through paper notification, through a recorded telephone message. Uh, we do not, or the, CIA, uh, the requirements do not expect facilities to make individual, individual calls to each resident's uh, family or responsible party. Okay, and uh, as for this information, uh, more specifically on the information, it must not include personal, personally identifiable information, and it must include information on mitigating actions implemented to prevent the reduced risk of transmission, uh, including if normal operations of the facility will be altered, and it must include cumulative updates for residents, representatives, and families weekly or by 5 p.m. the next calendar day following the occurrence, as mentioned before, of a confirmed infection or whenever three or more residents or staff with new onset of respiratory symptoms occur within 72 hours of each other. Right. And yesterday, uh, uh, CMS announced new recommendations. Again, these are recommendations, not requirements for opening nursing homes. And the, the recommendations uh, are that the facilities relax restrictions more slowly than the communities are around them. Uh, they recommend that the decisions on relaxing restrictions should be made with careful review of a number of facility level community and state factors and orders in collaboration with state and local health officials and nursing homes. Um, so some of the factors to consider include the case status in the community. Um, so um, considering a decline in the number of new cases or uh, hospitalizations or deaths, and that's community-wide. Uh, also to consider is the case status in the nursing homes. Uh, the recommendation is that absence of any new nursing home onset of COVID-19. Eric, Eric, I think I'm just going to mute again. Yeah. Uh, if uh, people could please, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, we never had this issue before, but if people can please be considerate of the program, we would appreciate that. Um, 
Again, if you are joining the program, the program is muted for participants so that everyone can hear what is going on. If you do join the program or get bounced for some reason and rejoin, please be careful about uh, any noises that you're making because we can all hear them. Uh, thanks, Sarah. So Eric is, is, is um, talking about the factors that, um, the, that CMS is saying states should be considering when they open up nursing homes for visitors. And this is, you know, obviously important to all of us because we want people to be safe, but, but we want to be able to visit our residents again and ensure that they're safe. So go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, the absence of any new nursing home onset of COVID-19 cases, this is residents or staff, uh, such as a resident acquiring COVID-19 in the nursing home. Uh, adequate staffing, uh, no staffing shortages, and the, that the facility is not under a contingency staffing plan. And next slide, please. Uh, access to adequate testing. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so access to adequate testing, and then that residents and visitors wear uh, protective equipment, such as a cloth face covering or face mask. And uh, resident, if a resident is unable or unwilling to maintain these precautions, or if they're a young child that's that's not able uh, to consider restricting their ability to enter the facility, and uh, that visitors should maintain social distancing and perform hand washing or sanitizing upon entry to the facility. And again, with, with access to adequate uh, PPE for staff. Uh, they recommend that all staff wear all appropriate PPE when indicated and that staff wear cloth uh, face mask, including uh, administrative staff. And uh, there's also to consider the local hospital capacity, and that's the ability for the local hospital to accept transfers from the nursing homes. And uh, before passing on to Richard, I just want to give a quick tour of our uh, LTCCC's Coronavirus Resource Center. Uh, if you've stopped by, you'll notice we've revamped this page uh, a bit. It's nursinghome411.org slash coronavirus. Uh, so we've, we have a four-section coronavirus uh, page, and that includes resources, news and reports, data, and federal guidance. And I'm just going to uh, talk, talk briefly about each of those sections and what they offer. So our resource center, uh, it, it includes resources both uh, from LTCCC as well as resources published uh, from other sites uh, that might be of use uh, to the public or to policymakers or to uh, yeah, to families of residents. Uh, we we have fact sheets including a. Uh, infection control fact sheet. The Center for Elder Law and Justice published a, a very informative fact sheet about the CARE Act, which explains the stimulus checks and resident rights as far as accessing those checks. Uh, we're also uh, posting pod podcasts. These are uh, 30, 30 or so minute episodes uh, with a variety of experts in long-term care. We'll be releasing a new one later this week uh, talking about some of the federal policy that I just discussed. And lastly, there's webinars such as this one, which you can find on our site. Um, 
There's also, I recommend checking out, uh, and we link to this here, uh, the webinar series from National Consumer Voice, which uh, it's called Advocating for Nursing Home Residents. And this features uh, perspectives from numerous uh, advocacy groups, including, including LTCCC and Center for Medicare Advocacy and Justice and Aging. And, and our uh, news and reports section, um, we uh, earlier this month uh, published an emergency action plan. This was for New York uh, recommending uh, policy to protect New York's residents. While it is centered on New York, some of these are applicable to other states and really to everywhere. Uh, we've uh, published an infection control issue alert. Um, and uh, if you haven't checked out uh, the New York Times op-ed uh, that Richard wrote a few weeks ago, uh, that's worth a read. It's explaining about the conditions um, the conditions in nursing home facilities prior to COVID-19 uh, made them a disaster waiting to happen. And in our next section, our data center, and again, this includes data, this includes data sets published by LTCCC as well as data sets published by other groups. Um, so we have been tracking New York State's fatalities and publishing weekly, but there also are sites that are publishing fatality and cases at the national level, including the New York Times, including the Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, we're also later this week going to pub be publishing the uh, latest staffing data from the fourth quarter of 2019 to give um, the public a, an idea of what the staffing levels were at these various facilities in the months leading up to the pandemic. And we also have information about, um, about five-star ratings and infection control citations. And in our last section, uh, federal uh, guidelines and requirements, a uh, couple of which I discussed a few minutes before, uh, we, include, uh, we include the uh, CMS guide recommendations for reopening nursing home facilities. Uh, we've posted the CMS toolkit which includes uh, state actions for COVID-19 management, information about telehealth, and information about organizations assisting nursing homes. And we also have other links to uh, CDC fact sheets and resources on that page. Uh, so the link to that is nursinghome411.org slash coronavirus. Um, and if you log on to our homepage, you'll see a big banner at the top of our screen and you'll be able to find it there and hopefully you'll find some of those resources useful. And on that note, I'm going to pass it back to Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Eric. That was great. So um, just to quickly uh, 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 let you know what we're doing with that page is that, you know, it started off, of course, you know, in, I guess, February or early March with, you know, some pieces coming out from the from the CDC and from CMS. And we want people to have, as Eric you know, was explaining, we want people to have access to that information as well as some of our own and other organizations' materials that synopsize, that provide you know, uh, easy-to-use fact sheets, et cetera. So as pretty much with most of what we do, putting together both uh, access to the uh, 
to the you know source excuse me to the source of government information so you know it's not just us or not our opinion but also providing you with uh, something that is you know more user friendly uh, with it with um, for your advocacy so I'm going to talk about uh, dementia care and uh, this is really the basis of original basis of our program but we're going to obviously focus about some of the things that are going on uh, in the age of COVID-19. So I wanted to just briefly talk about and, you know, some of the concerns that I know we're hearing about from families, from ombudsmen, from people who work closely with um, residents and families and some of the groups that Eric mentioned before with whom we're working. So I you know, divided it up into just you know, a couple of, of areas I just wanted to really plug in with you all about. One is, of course, concerns about whether the resident is getting the necessary and appropriate care that he or she needs. And there are so many factors here to consider. One off the bat is, of course, related to COVID-19, whether the resident uh, has COVID-19, doesn't have COVID-19, whether they have been tested, whether they um, have the symptoms of it, and if they don't have COVID-19, if they're being uh, appropriately segregated from residents that do. And so again, what I really want to do here is just, you know, raise some of the issues. I'm sure many of you are aware of them, but, but just to, you know, get us all thinking about what we should be advocating around, what we should be concerned about. And these are certainly, you know, especially, I would say, concerns for residents with dementia because they quite often are not in a position to uh, to speak for themselves or to advocate for themselves. And you know, we've talked many times and we'll certainly talk again about uh, care for residents with dementia, uh, dignity, et cetera. But I wanted to, I guess, again, really, you know, have us thinking about, as I am, uh, what can we do? How do we overcome some of those um, barriers that always existed and now have been greatly exacerbated by COVID-19 and how facilities are dealing with both COVID-19 and with the residents who are COVID positive or not, but who have dementia. So the other concerns in terms of care, uh, which we're hearing a lot about, is help, needing help with eating, needing help with drinking, that residents are not getting those services. They're not getting services with uh, respect to bathing and toileting in a timely manner. So we're hearing um, increasing reports of uh, people who have spoken to their loved one, their resident, and the resident is wearing the same outfit day after day after day, meaning, you know, indicating that they haven't been changed, they haven't been, been bathed. Um, we're hearing from residents who haven't uh, received help with uh, brushing their teeth or family members who have uh, to whom it's become clear that their resident has not been bathed for a week or more at a time. So some very, very uh, distressing and um, obviously problematic situations in these facilities. We are also very concerned about maintenance of health services, meaning that if someone comes in and they're able to walk, um, the facility is required to ensure that they're able to maintain that ability to walk unless their inability be, was unavoidable. And we again are just concerned that residents are not even getting access to some of these basic services. And I have to say, I and I think I mentioned that in the Times piece, but we, you know we've been concerned from the very start that residents will be particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 and to poor care at that time. You know, not so much because, or not only because um, residents tend to be 
elderly and tend to have uh, medical conditions which make them more susceptible to, to the serious ramifications of COVID-19 infection, but also because you know, so many nursing homes don't have enough staff to care for residents. So much uh, neglect exists on a day-to-day -day basis before COVID-19 that COVID-19 would exacerbate some of those issues. And that's unfortunately exactly what we've been seeing and hearing more about, at least you know, in our office over the past, I would say at least month or so, many more um, people concerned about their residents not getting basic necessary care than frankly residents who have COVID-19. But both of those are serious concerns. Both of those are very legitimate concerns. Lastly, under uh, necessary care, I wanted to mention I've been very concerned about um, residents getting appropriate medications and that is really twofold as I note here. One is that they're getting the medicine that they need to be healthy um, and that they need for any conditions that have been you know, diagnosed by a medical professional and for which those drugs are appropriate. But at the same time, we've had increasing concerns about residents that are being given psychotropic drugs, including antipsychotics, to essentially uh, uh, chemically restrain them. And that's something about which those of you who are familiar with our work or these issues uh, elsewhere know that uh, it's been a major concern for nursing home residents uh, that they, uh, the rate of antipsychotic drug use in nursing homes still hovers uh, close to 20%, one out of five residents. Uh, a lot of that drugging we know, um, the provider industry, CMS, and the federal and state governments have all recognized is important. And I'm afraid, because I'm already hearing of nursing homes that are offering um, you know, residents psychotropic meds rather than providing them with good care. And um, please, we you know, at LTCCC, we're, we're very small and we're not able to provide individual assistance with issues. We recommend of course, um, the speaking to the ombudsman, filing a complaint with the Department of Health or the State Attorney General's Office usually has a patient complaint or patient abuse hotline that we recommend. But uh, and there are other legal services uh, organizations out there in the grassroots level. But we really appreciate hearing from you. If you have something that you want to share with us, again, I'm sorry, you know, we can't provide individual. Um, uh, individual help with excuse me individual cases, but uh, what we hear from families, what we hear from residents, what we hear from ombudsmen, is enormously helpful in our advocacy and really does you know has made changes even during COVID-19 and will help us to fight for changes in the months you know and possibly years ahead as we we move beyond this and try to ensure that residents are safe and receive good and appropriate care. Uh, second, you know, the second area I wanted to quickly touch bases on is in regard to the resident being unhappy or uncomfortable. We know that a lot of families and a lot of residents are struggling with the ability to communicate with each other, that uh, families feel shut out from residents and, and rightfully so. The federal directives around this are that nursing homes are expected to help residents, so it's not a um, it, it's not an absolute requirement in terms of providing cell phones or providing access to a computer or to a tablet, et cetera. But 
the federal government has said that they, they are strongly urging facilities to do that and that the equipment, the resources are there, that they are taking the time to ensure that residents are connected with their families, connected with the long-term care ombudsman program. Uh, there have been actually federal guidance around this, you know, directives saying that residents still have the right, even during COVID-19, to uh, to, to speak to the long-term care ombudsman in their community, to make a complaint to their local or state ombudsman program, et cetera. It is absolutely essential and it's one of the things uh, for which we are fighting. So that that is really important, but I wanted to plug in and I'll talk about this a little bit more in terms of you know what is there just for the, for the resident's comfort and emotional and psychosocial well-being. Those things are as important now, if not more so, than ever with so many residents being isolated in their rooms without access to other people, to going out outside, to uh, entertainment and activities. Um, the requirements around this, you know, appropriate activities, they should still be there. Residents being treated with dignity and kindness, that is still in place. Those requirements are still there. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in the coming slides. So under the federal standards, and we have a lot of information, a lot of fact sheets on this that you can use, copy, and, and, um, and take with you or, or use in your advocacy. Nursing homes are required and they're paid to provide sufficient staff and appropriate services to help residents attain and maintain their highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being as individuals. That's part of the 1987 Nursing Home Reform Law and all of the regulatory standards that are, have been enacted since 1987 all speak to that. Um, this, of course, includes residents with dementia. And I, I'll never forget, someone at CMS said to me many years ago, we expect nursing homes to be meeting their residents where that resident, uh, where he or she exists. And that, of course, includes residents with dementia. It's not up to the resident to come up to the level of what the facility is, it does or what the staffing is, it feels like communicating or is able to communicate. It's up to the facility, up to the staff to be meeting the resident where he or she is. Now, there have been some uh, federal requirements that have been relaxed during COVID-19. Those include, for instance, uh, transfer and discharge rules have been relaxed. Some of the staffing requirements have been relaxed, not in regard to staffing sufficiency, having enough staff, and not in regard to ensuring that the staff have the appropriate knowledge and skills. However, uh, in order to get you know more people there caring for for residents, excuse me, uh, facilities are allowed to to hire for during COVID-19 at least they're allowed to hire certified nurse aides who have less training. So very quickly, I don't want to spend too much time getting into this now, but under the federal requirements, a in order to be a nurse aide in a nursing home, you have to have they have to go through a certification um, program that includes at least 75 hours of education. Uh, many states do much more than that. Our home state of New York, I think it's, if I remember correctly, 100. Some states, I haven't looked at this in a couple of years, have upwards of uh, 125, 150 hours of training. What CMS has said now is that facilities can actually hire, hire people as CNAs and give them as little as eight hours training. So that is very concerning to us, as you can imagine, um, because even 75 hours of training, frankly, is not a lot. But um, it, they are doing this for facilities. They're enabling them to make sure that they have enough staff 
in the facility to care for residents. Uh, but that, again, does not uh, remove any obligation that staffing uh, has, is appropriately furnished with skills and knowledge, uh, supervision if they, you know, if they don't have a lot of knowledge themselves, and that the residents are still receiving, again, that appropriate care to ensure that they can attain and maintain their highest practicable well-being. Some of the standards I just wanted to plug in on that have not been affected. So these are, again, still in effect right now throughout COVID-19, things that we can expect to see uh, for our residents and for which, frankly, there are just no excuses not to be providing. Uh, one, necessary care and services. So every resident, including residents with dementia, have the right to receive the care and services, again, necessary to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable well-being and functioning. Dignity. Every resident, including those with dementia, have the right to be treated with dignity and respect and to live in a comfortable environment. Uh, every resident still has the right to informed decision-making. So residents have the right to be informed about the risks and benefits of any medication or any treatment in language that he or she can understand. If a resident doesn't have capacity to understand or to, um, to sign off on a, um, on a change in treatment or a proposed treatment, his or her loved one can exercise those rights on the resident's behalf. And this gets at a couple things. As I mentioned before, we've been hearing about facilities that are offering or giving residents psychotropic drugs to, um, to, to, uh, because residents are frankly going stir crazy and are, uh, you know, are, are really uh, feeling the emotional and psychosocial effects of being stuck in their room. Some, some of them have been there for months now during the COVID-19 crisis. That is not appropriate. Um, and then also importantly, I wanted to mention here is that we've heard of residents, individual residents, as well as entire facilities that were using hydrocorticoin, the, um, the medication that the uh, president has been touting at times and said the other day, I think it was yesterday, that he himself is actually using. Um, we've heard of facilities that are just giving this to their residents. Again, informed decision-making protections and standards are still in place. So um, just in this regard, if your resident, especially if your resident has dementia and may not know what medications he or she is receiving, may not have the capacity for decision-making, ask. Find out what medications a resident is on, just as we would do during non-COVID-19 pandemic times, and, and ask questions, look up what those medications are, and find out what alternatives there are. There are some um, dangerous side effects to some of these medic medications. Uh, some of them, like hydro. Um, uh, Qualicoin, excuse me, I think I'm getting it wrong, um, are, you know, are found to not be effective against COVID-19. So we want to be really careful about understanding the risks and benefits of any proposed treatment, especially when it comes to drugs. And again, as, as I was just saying, residents still have the right to be free from chemical restraints. The nursing homes are also required under federal law to have sufficient staffing, including personal protective equipment or other resources to safely and appropriately care for every resident that they accept or retain. Here in New York, and, and our governor has been on national TV uh, pretty much every day uh, since the uh, COVID-19 started, there was a lot of controversy in March when 
the governor ordered that facilities not discriminate against uh, patients who are coming from a hospital with COVID-19. Uh, but the governor has said, and this is, this is exactly right, that nursing homes have an, an obligation under the federal law and the federal requirements, and I would say a moral obligation as well, to only accept residents for whom they have enough staff, enough PPE, and other supplies to provide them with appropriate care, to ensure that they, if they have, need help with toileting, as we mentioned before, they need help with dining or hydration, uh, if they need to be repositioned so they don't develop pressure ulcers, that all of those things must be in place every day, whether it's weekend, holiday, or you know during the time of the pandemic. There are absolutely no acceptable excuses for not providing that. This is not a hospital. Um, it's a nursing home. It's not a mass unit in a war zone. People go to nursing homes because they need post-acute, not acute care, post-acute care. And that is still every facility's obligation to only accept residents for whom they have appropriate staffing. And we're hearing from some of the industry lobbyists that, that their members, the nursing homes, are operating at 50% staffing, et cetera. Well, if they have 50% staffing, then they should not be accepting new residents. As I note here in the picture, this is a warehouse of bags of wheat. That's not what nursing homes are. Nursing homes aren't, aren't just taking as many residents as you can possibly fit in, in the door, and that, that's the end of it. You're just going to get paid every day for those residents. Nursing homes have an obligation, and those obligations, as I've been saying, for the most part, with very limited exceptions, are still in place. And the exceptions do not relate to quality of care, treatment with dignity, et cetera. So again, I just, I just want to emphasize that we have a right to expect appropriate staffing, appropriate care, and life with dignity. I know that this is a difficult situation. I know, as we've been discussing, that residents, you know, many residents are essentially been um, quarantined to their room uh, and that they're not getting a lot of the, you know, other activities, not being, you know, able to see other residents, go outside, et cetera. Uh, I hope that we'll be able to soon implement some of those practices, as Eric was talking about before with the government regulations, safely, recommendations, excuse me, uh, safely, but in the meantime, every resident has the right to be receiving services, et cetera, that he or she needs to be safe. There, there is just simply no, uh, no legitimate excuse for it to be otherwise. I wanted to spend some time, given that that uh, nursing home residents are, you know, many of them, and you know, this goes is true as well for assisted living and other adult care facilities. That many of them are really you know, stuck in their rooms. They have very limited ability to go out. They, uh, you know, have different abilities to use a cell phone or to use a, you know, a, a, another kind of smartphone, uh, an iPhone, an iPad, a computer, etc. And I know that you know a lot of them don't have that ability. Either it's not something that they were interested in or learned, or if they have dementia, that of course raises additional challenges. But I wanted to provide some ideas. I actually looked around. I did some research online um, before the program, of course, to see if I could find any ideas. I didn't find a lot. I think this is going to be new for a lot of people. But again, you know, getting back to what I mentioned before, which I personally think about a lot, is that CMS official he has since retired who said that the, um, you know, we expect the nursing homes and the staff to meeting the residents where he or she is. 
Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and this is something that has been used a lot, very effectively with for people with dementia, including nursing home residents with dementia, is music. Uh, music and Memory is a great program. They make a lot of iPods um, available to um, to residents in nursing homes and seniors with dementia and other settings as well. Uh, for those who have the ability to provide an iPod or, or a smartphone, etc., and to put on music, get headphones that are comfortable for the resident, the kind of music that the resident likes, that can make a big difference. Uh, perhaps if there is a TV in the room, that could be used as well for on a TV. The nursing homes, as I mentioned before, have been encouraged to to uh, facilitate this and encouraged to provide where possible the um, the resources for this. And this is something which we've been advocating for for funding. And in fact, the uh, CMS came out with guidance a couple of um, weeks ago now that said that states can give grants to nursing homes of up to $3,000 each to purchase iPods, smartphones, other uh, other electronic equipment for this use so that residents can communicate with their loved ones uh, over the phone or via FaceTime or Zoom or Skype, et cetera, or that they can you know, use, be used for entertainment. There's a lot of things out there uh, that are meant for seniors, people who may have poor eye eyesight, people who may have cognitive issues, you know, simple games or challenging games, depending upon what the person is able to uh, able to enjoy. But I really wanted to get uh, people thinking about that. I mean, it might be that someone is, you know, has dementia and they're not really able to say do a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle, or they're not, or they find it confusing to do a FaceTime call, but maybe looking, I mean, how many of us have seen videos of, you know, cats doing funny things or, or you know, puppies or something like that? There might be, again, just things that, that may or may not work for for residents, particularly those with dementia, but I thought it was important to, to plug in. Um, the third bullet I want to mention, you know, it's, again, you know, I know that, that a lot of residents are essentially uh, quarantined in their rooms. But as the weather is getting nicer in, uh, in New York and around the country, we are hearing of residents that are being taken out of their rooms, and we are strongly encouraging that so that, you know, again, you need to do social distancing. As Eric was mentioning about some of the, uh, some of the recommendations that the federal government centers for Medicare and Medicaid services had before, I think those are really instructional things for which we can advocate in our nursing homes to take people out, use the appropriate you know, face mask, especially for the care staff to be using that, uh, because well, using a face mask actually protects mostly other people from being infected by you rather than the other way around. So if the staff has a face mask on and takes the resident out perhaps in a wheelchair or escorts them with a walker, even for a short walk or, or a few minutes in the sun can make an enormous difference to people. And uh, you know, especially for nursing home residents who have been cooped up. Uh, one rec another recommendation, excuse me, we had. Uh, this is something that we came across, and it makes so much sense. Is you know, sending drawings from grandchildren. Uh, I would love to see if anyone has connections with schools or school children. Getting school children to to draw pictures or something for residents in the nursing homes in their community. I think that would make uh, an enormous difference. Would put a smile on a lot of faces. Uh, if you, you know, don't have children that are of an age to do that, you have a loved one in a nursing home, send them a copy of a photo, send them pictures 
that they would enjoy. Uh, you know, if someone went to to Paris in the past, maybe a picture of the Eiffel Tower would make them smile. If someone had a golden retriever, a picture of a golden retriever might might make them happy. You know, anything that we can do to bring some connection and some joy into people's lives, uh, especially people who are in facilities and are really stuck there, I think would be so valuable. Uh, I would say also ask for or arrange for providing food that the resident enjoys, such as cookies. My, my Aunt Hilda was in a nursing home for many years, and she uh, she was the cookie monster. <laughs> so we always brought her cookies, uh, chocolate, or even a glass of wine or a beer or whatever. Um, you know, residents um, can have that. Um, they're still adults, and you know it can certainly do a lot to make someone's day just a little bit more enjoyable. This was an interesting idea that, that I came across. Uh, put together a rummage box of things that the individual has been interested in. Uh, so that could be, you know, obviously a range of things. It could be a puzzle. It could be pictures. Uh, it could be, you know, things to draw with, uh, et cetera. You know, what did a yarn, uh, toys, you know, if there's something, you know, a lot of people use stuffed animals with residents with dementia. So, you know, put together a box of things that they could find uh, that they could look at that would be interesting and useful to them. A purse, uh, you know, some people like to carry a purse around with them, even though they're not going anywhere, or a briefcase, etc. And then lastly, provide puzzles, games, or reading material that is appropriate to that individual's interests and his or her abilities. So, you know, like I was saying before, you know, someone with dementia, they may not be able to read, they may not be able to, to, to read a book, but thumbing through a food magazine or thumbing through a travel magazine um, may be of interest and something that they would appreciate. I'm going to just quickly talk about some of the resources that we have beyond what Eric had mentioned before. Uh, as, as I mentioned at the start of my portion of the program, we have a, a lot of fact sheets on different areas. So if you have a concern about, uh, say, medication or you have a concern about, the, uh, about your resident not being helped to, to get up and to walk and losing the ability to walk or potentially developing pressure ulcers, we're not being toileted appropriately. Again, we have fact sheets that really get to all of those things. Uh, they're in the learning center of our website. It's the first button here on the upper left-hand side. You can also search the website for different, um, uh, for specific issues, excuse me, in which you're interested in, and then all the resources about that issue will come up because we've done programs, for instance, on um, antipsychotic drugging, on dementia care specifically. I'll talk a little bit about more of them. But those resources are there. And again, um, the expectation nursing homes are being paid, and they're being paid a lot of money now under COVID-19 to provide appropriate and necessary care and to ensure that residents are getting the care and the services that they need. I know um, I always hear back from families how challenging it is and how upsetting it is, and I know I've been a family member. Uh, I've seen people who I've cared for receive, unfortunately, really poor care, develop pressure ulcers, et cetera, and it is infuriating and heartbreaking. Uh, but, you know, my, my view is, and our view as an organization is, that you cannot, there's no possibility of making change unless you know what your rights are 
and are able to advocate for them either on your own or with help from the Amazon program, uh, or if you're an Amazon with your supervisors uh, and with resources, etc. That that is the only way that we can make change. You know, we can say, oh, it's very difficult, it's impossible, and I know I have been there. But uh, again, the only way that we can make change for our loved ones is if we know what our rights are and if we advocate uh, for the actualization of those rights. So just very quickly, a couple of the, um, some of the materials that we have here. This is part of our Dementia Care Toolkit. We have a whole toolkit that was established with funding from the Fan Fox and Leslie R. Samuels Foundation. We are uh, very grateful to them. So this includes, you know, some, uh, this sheet in particular is the dementia care considerations and things, you know, I included this here because of things that we can still think about. For instance, very quickly, questions to ask and consider. Does the nursing home have specific policies and procedures related to dementia care, whether or not they have a special dementia care unit. And those are things that we can still ask about. I mean, this has been going on now, the COVID-19, for several months, and it's very likely to continue for many months in the future, unfortunately. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no cure, there's still no treatment, and it's, as we can see, very hard to even diagnose people, sometimes correctly. So, and it's, of course, especially dangerous for people who live in nursing homes. So I'm afraid that we may be in the situation or close to the situation for many months, if not, you know, you know, years into the future. That is not appropriate from our perspective, or I think anyone's perspective, to not be providing good care, including care for people with dementia. So again, you know, some tips on how to, you know, observations, things to be considering if you can't be there in person to observe, to be asking those questions when you call your facility. Not all of them, not giving, reading someone the riot act, but again, we want to help them provide the best care possible, but we also want to advocate for care that is appropriate within these standards. And here are some of the standards that, um, you know, we have a number of fact sheets that are specifically focused on dementia care and um, drugging standards. And then also, you know, just in terms of dementia care, and as I mentioned just a few moments ago, in regard to, you know, basic care with toileting and with uh, access to food and nutrition and medical supervision, et cetera, all those things are really important. Here's one that uh, I'll just take a moment to talk about, uh, resident assessment and care planning. This is one that when we first pilot tested these in two nursing homes in New York, um, that I think resonated the most with uh, the family members that, um, uh, that I was working with at the time. And that was one resident assessment. These are things that have to be in a resident assessment. It must include, and this is not my opinion, these are the federal requirements, it must include the resident's cognitive patterns, their ability to communicate, their vision, their psychosocial well-being, whether they have any skin conditions, uh, whether they have any activity pursuits. What can they do? Do they like to walk every day? And they should be able to walk every day. They shouldn't be shut Even if they have to be in their room, mostly during COVID-19, that you know, that can't go on for months or the next year or two. We have to be thinking about how we're going to provide appropriate care to meet residents' needs at this time. And then on the second half of this page is um, based upon that resident assessment is the comprehensive person-centered care plan. Again, not my language. This is language directly from the federal rules. And that the care plan 
must include any services that are going to be furnished to ensure that the resident again attain or maintain his or her highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. I know it's a mouthful, but it's really important because it gets back to being resident-centered. This is what we are paying for. This is what we expect of nursing homes as licensed, skilled nursing facilities. And we can't just um, accept that it's an emergency situation. That should not be happening in a nursing home. Um, if there is a time, say, you know, residents, uh, say the, the staff has, uh, you know, high infection all of a sudden and staff call out, well, steps need to be taken and implemented immediately to address that situation. It is not acceptable that that goes on for days or weeks with the facility sitting on its hands saying, we just, um, we're low on staff. That is not appropriate, it's not acceptable. It isn't during a normal time and it's not now either. Uh, these are some of the things that we have just in the Dementia Care Toolkit. And as I was mentioning before, we have a lot of fact sheets that have really added on to this over the years uh, with funding both from the Samuels Foundation and from the New York State Health Foundation, which has uh, you know, enabled us to provide programs such as the one today. Uh, we also have, and I'm just gonna quickly go through it, I hope some of you have been on this before, we've been putting together more and more materials for families and ombudsmen. A lot of those materials are also good for residents as well. We just don't name residents particularly because we're able to connect mostly through to families and ombudsmen and through families and ombudsmen to residents. So certainly residents who are able, we know residents who do have access to the internet can use these materials and do use some of these materials actually, which I'm glad to say. But, uh, you know, because we're able to have, you know, programs, et cetera, more directly with families and ombudsmen, that's, that's what we call it. But we have a lot of these handouts, a lot of materials I'll show you on this page, the forms and tools for resident-centered advocacy. We have them both Word files and PDF files, so they can be printed out and used, but they can also be used on a computer or on a handheld device, uh, on a phone, et cetera. Uh, and we have files for, uh, or forms, excuse me, for resident concern record keeping, which I think I'll show you next. Uh, a resident assessment worksheet, when I was talking about before, if the resident is getting an assessment, some things that you can write down resident preferences form, and I think that could be especially valuable now for families and those working with them to think about that if your resident has dementia, what are some of the things that he or she likes? I mean, we're always recommending it, that's why we're doing, that's why we did the form, excuse me, but I think, you know, especially now, since we're not there, not able to come in and visit with residents and to spend that time with them, uh, what were their you know, what are their preferences? Excuse me. What are things that they like or did like in the past that could make their lives more comfortable now? And then, lastly, on this page, we have materials for resident and family council meeting notices and meeting agendas. This is something about which uh, we'll certainly be talking. I hope that you all will join us and help us get the word out as well. We really want to facilitate uh, family council and resident council meetings. Uh, especially now and going into the future where people may not be able to meet in a facility, may have difficulty meeting in person. How can we, um, you know, we're thinking about how we can facilitate uh, families and Amazon working with families and, and to some extent where possible um, residents 
to hold those council meetings and to have them in a way that's effective because especially now where facilities are claiming and, and often rightfully so that they are um, you know that, that, that they have a lot going on that they are uh, you know have a lot of people who are calling them and concerned if you can join together as a resident council or a family council or if you can help your residents or your families join together as a council that can make an enormous difference speaking in a united voice will never be as important as it is uh, as it is right now I think here's very quickly the resident just for you to see the, the personal preferences fact sheet so people can see and people can plug this in and share this with the, their nursing homes now and again I know it's very challenging I know it's very difficult under the best of circumstances to get facilities quite often to treat your resident as a person um, but as I mentioned at the start all of the federal requirements are individual resident centered and the only way that we'll be able to make any change any improvements in this regard is if we know our rights and if we have the tools I believe to exercise them as effectively as possible and uh, as I said we want to do uh, and we're thinking about how to do more effective outreach now to residents and families and ombudsmen who are working with them, others who are working with them. We would definitely appreciate your ideas, so please do email us, feedback at ltccc, Larry Thomas, Carol, 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 dot org, um, and um, we will, you know, use that, uh, use any information that we, we can get, and if you want to connect with us in this way, that would be wonderful as well. This is the record-keeping form for resident concerns, which again may be more useful now than it ever was. Especially if you are checking on a resident from outside, uh, you can talk. You know, you can write down what the issue was, who they said, um, who you spoke to, what they said the outcome was going to be, etc., and keep keep a record of what is going on so that you can be as organized and effective as possible. This is the family council meeting agenda. And that is the end of the um, materials. Again, all those materials are available on our website, nursinghome411.org. Everything is free to use and to share. Uh, we really want to work to, and I'm thinking, you know, hard and appreciate any recommendations, anyone who's interested in joining us uh, and connecting with us as, you know, and helping us through you to connect with residents and families in in your facility, that would be great. Our next program will be June 16th, again at 1 p.m. Eastern, identifying and addressing nursing home abuse and neglect. This is an ongoing issue and an ongoing challenge uh, at every single level, but I hope that we can, um, uh, we can take steps to address that. We've been actually working on the Hill, you know, in, in Washington, D.C., to try to get uh, more in place to both detect uh, nursing home abuse and neglect and to uh, address it to um, and to stop it of course thank you so much for joining us today you can visit us at nursinghome411.org forward slash join again if you want to connect with us either that way or by emailing feedback at ltccc.org uh, again uh, unfortunately we don't have the capacity to take on individual cases uh, and to provide advice in that way but we do have information. We do strongly urge that people connect with their ombudsman programs. And, you know, if there is a complaint or a concern, uh, I know it can be frustrating, but to file that with the you know, State Department of Health or the, uh, the Attorney General's Office. 
Lastly, very quickly, we have on this page, and this is up on our, on our website in case you need it, for ombudsman volunteers in New York State, if you would like us to let your supervisor know that you've attended this training program, please take a quick survey um, at surveymonkey.com. The, the address is there, and again, it's on our website. And then on, in addition to that, we would be happy, for those of you who are uh, a state ombudsman in other areas, we'd be happy to track that information for you as well if you wanted to offer this as an in-service training for your, um, for your volunteers or for your staff. We'd be happy to do that. Uh, lastly, for just for family members in New York, we strongly urge you to connect with the Alliance of New York Family Councils. It's www.a, n as in Nancy, y as in yes, F as in Frank, C as in Carol, A-N-Y-F-C.org, or you can email info at A-N-Y-F-C.org. And without further ado, I'm going to open it up to questions. Sarah, if you... Um, if there are any questions that came in, if you wouldn't mind reading them, uh, unmuting yourself and reading, that'd be great. We have one question from Carol, and that is, do the reporting requirements that Eric was speaking of apply to assisted living and senior housing communities also? No, they don't. Yeah, so, so unfortunately, this is something about which we're really concerned and have been concerned from the very beginning. Uh, all of the federal rules uh, really only apply to nursing homes. There, there are no federal safety standards for assisted living or other types of adult care facilities. And so it's been an enormous concern of mine, frankly, that as much as residents in nursing homes are at risk during COVID-19 or heightened risk during COVID-19, that residents in adult care facilities like assisted living and adult homes, family-type homes, that they there's even less um, oversight the rules are much less. The, um, they generally are not required to have a licensed nurse on staff, so you don't even have the licensed nurse reporting requirements when there is abuse or neglect. So uh, in short, no, you know, the, the, those standards don't apply. The recommendations, you know, do apply. Some states have, uh, in, and, uh, excuse me, some states have instituted requirements about reporting, but in terms of the, um, uh, of what CMS has done that only applies to nursing homes. Were there any other questions, Sarah? That was the only other question, uh, the only question. Perfect. Thank you. And again, everyone, please, uh, we would appreciate, uh, we really want to support uh, resident-centered advocacy by ombudsmen and by family members, and we uh, understand the need to do that. Uh, electronically, so we're actually going to be moving our programs. I don't think the next one, but the one after, we're going to be moving to to Zoom, and that should make it easier for communications. But we also want to provide, uh, you know, help and assistance to uh, ombudsmen and to advocates and to families and to residents to help them to communicate uh, as much as possible uh, electronically, um, you know, through Zoom or through FaceTime uh, and through other media. So thank you very much. And Richard, another question yeah. just when okay. came in, if you're okay with it. It's from sure. Diane. Does the nursing home have to inform the resident family member if non-FDA approved meds are given for COVID? They, every, every resident and where the resident lacks capacity, every family member or whoever has the right to make decisions for the resident must be informed um, when any any medication or any other treatment is proposed. And that being informed means 
that it's in a language that they can understand, as I mentioned earlier, and we do have fact sheets on this, but also that they are informed about the alternatives to the proposed medication, no matter what those alternatives cost, and that they have the right to say no to them. Whether or not the facility staff or the doctor or anyone else thinks that's a good idea, those residents or their whoever's representing them, a family member, et cetera, has the right to say no. Thank you. Thanks for that question. I'm going to stop recording now, and I thank everyone for joining us. Hope to see you next month, and thank you all for your interest, for your advocacy, for your dedication. I, I really appreciate it. Bye-bye now.